So now I have the distinct privilege of introducing to you the absolute greatest achievement that Ed Glover (laughs) has ever accomplished, and he'll amen me for that. I have the privilege of introducing to you one of my favorite ladies on the planet. I love Tammy Glover because of the way that she loves Jesus. Tammy is a, is a highly educated woman. She, she holds a degree. I've got it written down here because there's so much stuff here. She holds a degree from Seattle Pacific University, also holds a Master's of Divinity from Alliance Theological Seminary, and has over 30 years in ministry experience. She's in the trenches of ministry every single day of her life as an urban missionary on the north side of Pittsburgh. And you can clap for that. And I want to tell you this, if you have not heard about Urban Impact, I would highly encourage you to check out what they're doing because God is moving through these people on the north side. And tonight, God is going to move through you, through our sister, Tammy Glover. Would you please come on up here, Tammy? Let me pray for you, Tammy. Is that all right? Oh, yes. Father, we love you and we thank you. And as we talk about justification tonight, God, we pray that you would speak through our sister, Tammy. Mm. We thank you for the way that she loves you. And we thank you for the example of Christ that she is to all of us. So, Lord, minister to our hearts right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, first of all, I feel unworthy of all of that, those accolades. And I need that chair because, you know, I'm... I'm old, and I like to sit down. Oh, look at our boys are in the house. All you Urban Impact boys, stand up and take wave, say hello. Oh, you know, you guys are so nice. You make Amy Chan feel like she's right at home. I love you. All right. I'm so, they're so nice to come. Okay, that's a, uh, one of our uh, young men's Bible studies, and Nathan... Um, our son is, is, you guys are taking a night off for Bible study to come hear me? Okay, if you're disappointed, you talk to Nathan afterwards. He'll fix it. Uh, the rest of you, uh, Pat Katie informed me that she has homework to do tonight. Uh, Pat Katie, where are you sitting? Oh, right here. Okay, so she said, if you see me pull the binder out, it means you're going a little long and I'm a little bored. And so um, I'll be doing my homework at that point. And I said, so I'm letting you know, if Pat pulls out her binder, you have my permission to leave. Um, and you can, you, because, you know, like, it's okay. You know, we're, it's all good. Um, uh, so, Pat, you just wave the binder, and they'll get the message. And it's like the shepherd's crook. Okay. So I am delighted to be with you tonight. And... Um, to talk about justification. That is a, it's a big word. Don't, don't be put off by that, guys, okay? Because it's going to be awesome. Because I, I was loving that Carla was up here first. Because Carla's a judge. And, and justification is, is all about um, courtroom drama. And we as a people, Americans especially, we love courtroom drama. Um, if you don't believe me, then how many kinds of CSI are on television? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because it started. So I googled it because I don't actually watch CSI because I'm, I'm, I would probably if I was home more, but I'm a little busy. So I googled to find out how much CSI is there in the world today. So there's CSI, then there's CSI Las Vegas, there's CSI Miami, CSI New York. And we're told that this spring or next spring, uh, we will even have a new CSI somewhere in Virginia. 
That is exciting. CSI Worldwide has been recognized as the most popular dramatic series internationally by the Festival of Television in Monte Carlo. It was awarded Best Television Drama Series three times. Its worldwide audience was estimated to be over 73.8 million viewers in 2009. Okay, this is a lot of people watching this show, right? Okay, and in 2012, it was uh, named the most watched television show in the entire world for the fifth time. Now, we love that, that. Now, this is just one courtroom drama story that we love to watch on TV. That doesn't count Law and Order franchise, which has the SVU. I hope I say these right. I don't even watch these shows. Criminal Intent, Boston Legal. I know, I mean, maybe I've watched them one time. Criminal Minds, Without a Trace, Suits. Let's not forget the one that I have watched, Judge Judy, and <laughs> The People's Court. I know. So we love we love the investigation, right? We as a people, and not just us, everybody in the world loves the investigation. They love to find out, okay, I have to get comfortable here because I am a very comfort-oriented person. And you can tell, take a look at this body. This is a comfort body. Um, and we love the courtroom scenes where the bad guys get what they deserve, right? And we're disturbed when justice is not carried out and we are horrified when a horrible criminal is set free to go and do more damage, right? You know what I'm talking about. So um, just in, in terms of, of, of reality, last week, you know, we are suffering in our city, a, a siege against our children. And this past week, one of our young men at Urban Impact, 18 years old, about to graduate from high school, the same age as my youngest son sitting here in the front, um, Jonathan, uh, he came out of our basketball league and on his way into his home was shot and killed in cold blood in front of his house. And our hearts are broken at this wrong. And it's broken at the injustice that we see. And, we, and we, don't, we don't understand it and we don't like it. So our subject tonight is set in the most dramatic courtroom ever to take place in human history. But the drama will be real. It will not be a television reenactment. It will be real and it will take place in the Supreme Court of Heaven itself. And God will be the judge. And every man and every woman will be hauled in on criminal charges. Some will be defiant. Others will cringe and shudder. But all will stand before the judge. Because the Bible tells us in Hebrews 9, 27. All right, guys, you can, we're going to click through those things. There we go. You are awesome. It is appointed. Now, I'm going to, you know what? I'm really easygoing, so you, you just roll right with me. It's all good. And you guys, you got that going. If, you know, if, I am not, if you're not right with me, I will click with you because I can do that. And um, I just want you to know, so it's appointed unto men once to die and then the judgment. Psalms 9.16 says that the Lord is known by his justice. Psalms 9, 27 and 28 says this, The Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. 
He will judge the world in righteousness. He will govern the peoples with justice. The Bible declares that Almighty God will be the judge of the living and the dead, and that our eternal judge has existed before time began, and he will exist when time is no more. The infinite eternal being will judge all human beings with the strictest accounting for sin. And not only will our actions be judged, but every thought and desire of our hearts. Hebrews 4, 12, and 13 says this, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing even to the point of dividing soul and spirit and joints from marrow. It is able to judge the desires and thoughts of the heart. And no creature is hidden from God, but everything is naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must render an account. That means, look at that verse, it says that everything is naked and exposed to to him who we must render an account. We're going to give an account for every thought, every word, every deed. Now, when I think about someone judging the killers of of our young man that that died this past week, I am happy. I am not going to, I want justice for them. I want them to not be able to run, and I want them not to be able to hide. And we feel that way. We feel that way about these children who are murdered senselessly. We want justice. But many of us, if I were to tell you that right now, I'm going to tell them to put on a screen everything you did today, every word that came out of your mouth, and every thought you thought And I'm going to display it for everyone here, and I'm going to display it for your husbands, your wives, your children, and all your pastors. How many of you would want that? I don't want it. I don't want it because today I screwed up. Today I know on the way here, I sinned. I mean, it was, I don't want to be accountable for my sin. But I want others to pay for theirs. So since we are all going to face the judge of the universe, some of us would, some of us sooner than others, but all of us eventually, none of us knows, none of us are guaranteed any of our time. That's right. And um, so what a poignant reminder. You know, I I was thinking about all of this, and one of the things I thought about is we just did... um, the memorial service or the funeral service for the young boy who died um, last week, Rashid. And, um, you know, sometimes there's a lot of of programs that you hear about. um, And they say, you know, we we keep kids off the streets and we do good work. And I want you to know that in times like these, in moments like we just experienced together, if all we do is keep people off the street or entertain people. We haven't done anything. If we are not about the gospel of Jesus Christ, see, if Pastor Ed had had to look at the mother in the face and say, we kept your boy off the street as long as we could, but when we gave him back to you, he still got killed. 
There is no comfort in that. And there is no comfort when we see a loved person that we know and love who is caught in the grip. And we are all reminded of how fleeting our lives are. But Pastor Ed did not have to look at that mother and say those words. Here's what he said. In the congregation of many. It was so packed. People were standing in all the corners and down the aisles and in the halls. And he looked at that mother and he said, your son came to an Urban Impact basketball program every week. And he heard about the person and the claims of Jesus Christ. And he responded to the gospel, not just once, many times as the Lord would convict him of what was going on in his own life. And your son was not perfect. But your son, based on his profession of faith in Jesus Christ, is absent from his body right here, but he is present with the Lord. Amen. You know, we, we, there's so much that we all, you know, like what a great reminder. You know, we're talking about justification. You know what that means? Like, it means just the definition. Let's go to the definition of justification here. We're going to define it in two ways tonight. And it's so important. It's so important for everyone because there's not one of us that won't stand before the judge. And if we, we all have, we all have, um, stake in this word because it, it means that if you are not justified before God you are judged for your wrong and you are held accountable Webster's dictionary says that that's the definition of justification acquittal to give a favor, favorable verdict or to declare righteous that's good but even that is unless you are a better CSI watcher than I am even some of that is a little bit hard for me to understand what does it mean to, you know, like, what is acquittal exactly? I mean, Carla could tell us. But if you are not that familiar, let me help you with that. It means that you go to court accused of a crime. And when you get to the court, they find you innocent. In other words, not guilty of the crime of which you are accused. And because you are found not guilty, you are acquitted of your crime. You are free to go. It means somebody else, it's on somebody else. It's not on you. That's what human acquittal means. And when I was a little girl, I watched um, a show called Perry Mason. Um, I, I just love it that I'm in a room where people just laughed. <laughs> that means you are as old as I am. Um, and you boys over there, I think I have a picture of Perry Mason somewhere. Do you have a picture of Perry? Is it up? There he is. Oh, my gosh. And he, look at those eyes. They're almost, like, frightening. Um, but um, I just want to say that I would watch this program when I was a little girl. And I will tell you, boys, because you have no idea what I'm talking about right now. But on, this was a great show. And what I loved about this show is Perry Mason was a lawyer, okay? And he would get people in his courtroom. And, and from time to time, my favorite shows were the ones where his... He was the defending lawyer, and the person he was defending was, was truly innocent, and he knew it. And he would get the real criminal 
on the stand. And those of you who watched, you know what I'm talking about. And then he would start asking them those questions. And he would ask those penetrating questions until the person on the stand who was the real criminal couldn't take it anymore. And they would confess to the crime. And they would say... They did it, and the person, the defendant, was so relieved, and they would be acquitted. And the sheriffs would take the person off the stand and handcuff them and take them off. And I was glad. You know, you can see the punitive bone I have in my body. I took a test once. It says I have it. I'm not even lying. My dad says you need to work on that. Now, there's one huge difference between that kind of acquittal that Perry Mason did, right, and spiritual acquittal. Okay, that's what we're talking about tonight. Spiritual, theological acquittal. Stay with me now. Don't lose me now. You've got to watch. Stick with me. I got this. The big difference is this. When we stand before the Supreme Court of Heaven, we will be guilty of every charge brought against us. See, in Perry Mason... We knew that the defendant was actually innocent. But when we stand before God, we will be guilty as charged. And that means that, how does that work, right? Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Human justification, acquittal, we're going to keep using that word. It's a new vocabulary word. means I am not guilty. I am vindicated. I am found in the right. I am not wrong. So I go free. Spiritual justification or acquittal means I am guilty, but I go free. As if I'm not guilty. How does that work? All right, let's look at a theological definition of justification. Justification, theologically speaking, is still a legal term. Okay? And it's taken from the courtroom and it means this. Listen to these words. You won't, I won't lose you. A judicial act by which God declares righteous those who believe in Jesus Christ. A judicial act by which God declares righteous those who believe in Jesus Christ. In Romans 4, it says it was credited to him, Abraham, not for him alone, but for us also to whom God will credit righteousness. That's what they're talking about. We get credited righteousness for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. They use our word. So how does that work and how can that be fair? Right? Romans 5.18 says this. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so, so through one act of righteousness... There resulted justification of life to all men. There's two things about that verse that I want you to notice. The first thing I want you to do is grab your Bibles, get them out. And I want you in the front cover of your Bible to write this down. Get your pen and you write this. You guys write this down if you've got your Bibles. Do you got your Bibles with you? You got no pen? Put it in your phone. Put it in your phone. All right. Here's what it means. The opposite of justification is condemnation. Those are opposite terms. So, if I'm condemned, I'm not justified. If I'm justified, I'm not condemned. Okay? So, you want to put that in your Bible. Why? Because then when you see these words popping up, look, I'm just not that bright. I went to a lot of education, but it took a lot to get it in. So, 
I write these things down so that as I study God's word later and I get to the word justification, I remind myself that it means I'm not condemned. Because it's the opposite of being condemned, justified, right? I'm justified because of what Jesus did for me. We're going to just watch. I I got this. The second thing that we got to remember from this verse is that through Adam, all were condemned. But through Jesus Christ, the righteous demands of God were met so that sinners, that's all of us in this room, unless you want your laundry list on the screen, can be justified before a holy God. All right, are, we with, are you with me so far? Do you want me to say it again? Adam, we were condemned. Jesus Christ, he meets the righteous demands of God. I go slow because, you know, it's just, it's worth it to get it. Let me illustrate it for us, all right? So in case it's not Claritin clear yet. You missed that. All right. <laughs> Suppose I'm speeding down a highway and I'm in Texas. And I get a speeding ticket for speeding. And an officer uh, comes there and he's writing a ticket. And as he's writing the ticket, I have a wave of remorse that comes over me. And I, I, I know I've done wrong. I shouldn't have been speeding. And I say to him, officer, I am so sorry. I, I was wrong to speed. I was speeding and I'm sorry. Um, can you please give me a warning and not give me a ticket? And he says to me, I'm sorry, ma'am. The price for speeding is a ticket. And I say, but officer, you don't understand. Like, you know, please, please have mercy on me. And he hands me the ticket. And as I look at the ticket, I realize that the fine for the ticket is as big as the state. It is a huge fine, and I cannot pay this Texas-sized ticket. And so I say to him, officer, I cannot afford this ticket. I I don't even have that much money in the bank. Please, officer, please Can you not help me? And suddenly a change comes over his face and he takes my ticket and he, he puts it back on that little clippy thing they carry to your car. And he writes a little bit more on my ticket and then he hands it back to me. And I realize that in the personal information spot on the ticket, he has written his own name and address and phone number and license number. He said, you're free to go. I said, wait, don't I have to show up in court or something? Or like, don't I have to? No, it's all taken care of. The day of the court hearing that I have seen slyly on the ticket comes up. And I go to the court because I am curious to see what is going to happen. And on the day that I'm supposed to be standing for a speeding ticket, I see the officer who pulled me over. He's in plain clothes. And he's standing before the judge. And when the judge calls my court number case, he calls his name, not mine. And he stands before the judge, not me. And when he pays the sentence, he pays for my ticket, not me. That's what it means to have spiritual justification. You see, Jesus sees our fine that we can never pay, that we can never make up. And he takes the ticket and he writes his name in our place. And he writes the information. And we walk out of the court 
as if we have not broken the law at all. There is no record of us breaking the law because our name was never on the ticket. Do you understand? There is no record of it. See, in the Bible, it tells us that when Jesus died for our sins, he separated our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. Why did he choose those words? Because our friend who flies an airplane, Ed and I have a friend, he flies an airplane. This is what he told us. He said, when you go north to south in an airplane, as you go up and you go north, when you hit the north pole where it's magnetic, it clicks your thing over. Now you know you're going south. When you get to the south pole, it clicks. Now you know you're going north. Then when you get click and I'm going south. Click and I'm going north. I'm easily amused. All right. But when you go east to west... This is what he told us. You start going east, you just keep going east. You're always going east. It never ends, the east. It always points that you're going east. When you're going west, you always go west. It never stops. It never clicks over. You just keep going west. What does that mean? That you have an endless distance between you and your sin, and it cannot be found. When I was a little girl and I was trying to understand what it means to be justified, my dad was a wonderful pastor. And this is what he said. He said, Tammy, justification is easy. Get your Bibles out. You're going to write this down. Daddy was a wise man and you need this in your Bible. This one is a one to take to the bank. He said, Tammy, justification is easy. It means this. Because of what Jesus did on the cross for you and for your sin, God looks at you. Here's what you're going to write. Justification. He looks at you just as if you'd never sinned. You look completely clean. You have no record. You have no rap sheet. You have nothing. God looks at you because Jesus... By the way, Jesus is the one who stands before the judge. We never do. We will be judged for, not judged, we will be rewarded or not rewarded for what we have done for Christ. But we will never stand in judgment. Why? Because God justifies us. That's what is the coolest thing about justification. Now, I want you to know something. Most of us, if you've accepted Jesus Christ in this room, you have come to terms with some part of living in justification for your salvation. I meet lots of people and they are, are able to accept God's justification for them for salvation. Where they have a hard time is living the Christian life in justification. And that's different than receiving it once for your salvation. Because if we don't live in the freedom of being acquitted just as if we'd never sinned. You can leave that up there if you want to write that in your Bible. Do you all got it? Can we take it down? Don't lose that because you will write, every time you see justification, you say to yourself, just as if I'd never sinned. That is who I am in Christ, all right? So if we don't live like that, just as if we'd never sinned, we live like Christian fugitives and we live guilty as charged and on the run from God. And I'm going to make a picture for you so you understand what I'm saying to you. This is what living like a Christian fugitive from justification looks like. 
I'm walking down a road and there are two, I come to a fork in the road and there are two ways I can go. And there are signs on the road. One sign says, pleasing God, and the other sign going down the other, don't you yawn at this, you got this baby, you got this, stick with me, you are so awesome, I am so glad you came tonight, all right, so you got to hear this, so it's going to change your life, all right, watch this, one side says pleasing God, the other side says trusting God, and you think to yourself, I have to choose one of these forks, either trust God or please God, yes. You were in my choir talk. You rock. All right. He's on the right way. Listen to this. So we think to ourselves, do I please God or do I trust God? And so we begin to have some self-talk and we say, after all God's done for us, the least I can do is try to please him. And so we take the road of pleasing God. And it's well-worn because lots of people have gone down this road before us. But there are potholes and rocks and we have a hard time and we're trying to please God and we're failing and when we get to the end of the road there's a building and we walk into the building and there's a giant room and there's lots of people in the room and you're tired and so you say I've tried and I failed and shh says a woman in the room and she's standing near you and she said we're all fine We're, we're all fine and she hands you a mask, and she, she says, here, we're all fine. And you look up, and over the doorway, it reads, the room of good intentions. And you put on your mask. Because you've tried, and you failed, and you don't want anyone to know what your journey is like. But there's another room. There's another road, I mean. And on this road, the road mark is marked trusting God. Now, this road is also difficult to travel. It has rocks and potholes. And when you get to the building at the end of the road, you enter and you are frustrated. And you are painfully aware of your shortcomings. And you blurt out, Oh, God, I can never be what you want me to be. I have failed, and I will fail again. And if you're looking for someone who has it all together, it is not me. And you look up, and the room is filled with people. But this time, no one hands you a mask. This time, your words bring a kind smile to their lips. Someone slips an arm around your back and says, Friend, don't you know where you are? And you look up and you realize that the sign over the door says grace. Amen. I want to show you a picture. You know, Carla talked about that she had that weight of sin on her. And I want to suggest to you tonight that many of you have walked with Jesus a long time. Some of you may not know Jesus, and you are, have been carrying your weight of sin, and it has never been relieved. But some of us come to Christ, and we get rid of that boulder of sin that presses against us. But then we start walking down the road of trying to please God, and when we find that we can't please him, and we pull ourselves up with our bootstraps, and we try a little harder, and we... 
before we know it, we're pulling the weight of our sin again behind us. I want to show you a picture of what that looks at. Looks like in 1750, um, along the border lines of Argentina, Paraguay, and Brazil, this is a true story, there was a, bl- a brutal slave trader who had killed his own brother. He was consumed by remorse and guilt, and the man was unable to face himself and unable to face his failure. He meets a priest who takes him back to the very people he has tortured and enslaved. As part of his penance, he's asked to carry the very weapons and tools he's used to commit his crimes. It is a perfect picture of what it looks like to walk down the road of trying to please God. Please watch this with me. That's a picture of what it looks like to walk into the room of grace. See, God doesn't intend for us to carry that burden with us everywhere we go. But that leads us to one question. If God, if we're going to live justified and we live by trusting God, then there's two things we have to to clear up. Why do we not just then, you know, the Bible asks the same question. Why don't we just sin all the more so grace can abound? Right? And this is really important for you to understand. So just listen very carefully. Grace does not change the nature of sin. Grace never makes sin less deadly. Do you hear what I'm saying? While we do not have to carry the burden, if as a Christian, when we get caught up in sin, it is no less deadly to us, right? You, you want to live a unfulfilled, not joyful, miserable Christian existence? Live on the fence and live in sin. You will never, because grace does not erase, right? It doesn't erase the deadliness of sin. This is what grace does for us. Grace enables us to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can put to death our sinful urges and desires. See, grace comes in and helps us, but we don't live trying to please God. We, if we try to please God, to be good enough for God, to get his approval, and see, some people live like they're trying to gain God's approval before they become a Christian, but then some of us try to gain God's approval even after we've been given grace. And we will be exhausted and joyless, and we will, we, because no matter how hard we try, we cannot please God. But we can trust him. And the amazing thing about trusting God is that when we trust him, we please him. When we trust him, we please him. Jesus does not stand looking at you with his arms folded or his fingers pointed and say, I can't believe after all I've done for you, look at the mess you continue to make of your life. He doesn't say that. He says, I see your sin and I am not surprised. I'm not surprised. 
You're not surprising me by hiding it, by not confessing it. You're, you're, not, you're just separating yourself from the one who, who fixes it. He says, with a smile, it's a big pile, and I wonder if you ever sleep. Because it's mounted high. But he says, come on. I know you can't do it. That's why I came. Do you trust me? Trusting Jesus means in the face of your most recent defeat, you can thank him for his grace and trust him for your future. You can wholeheartedly believe that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. That there is now, Romans 8, now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because you have been justified. Can you dare to live it? Can you dare to live justified? Can you trust him? Can you allow him to cut the pack off your back? Mm. Trusting God is the turn in the road that leads to life, the road of grace. And every day you stand at the fork. Every day. Will you get up in the morning determined to do better, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and please him? Or will you get up in the morning and say, Lord, I trust you with my whole life, the good and the bad, and by your grace, I will live this day for you. I will trust you with my whole life. I want to give you, before we close, a glimpse of what does it mean to trust God. Because I never liked it when people would say, trust God, and then they wouldn't explain to me, how do I do that? See, I went to church a long time. I was raised in church. So I, was, I sat under a lot of teaching, and sometimes they, didn't, they assumed that I would know how to trust God, and I was slow on the go. I needed a little help. So let me help you learn how you can put into practice tomorrow or even tonight when you leave this place, how can I trust God? All right, this is how you do it. You give thanks in all things. You give thanks in all circumstances. This is how we trust God. Now you say, what, what, what do you mean by that? Because by giving thanks, whether we understand what God is giving us or we don't understand what God is giving us. See, not trusting God means that when we come into a situation we don't like, we receive it like this and we say no. Trusting God means whether I like the situation or not, I come to him and I say, not my will but yours be done. And I open my hands to his will, even though at the moment I think that it will be painful. Jesus is our perfect example. Remember when, he, when we go and we have the uh, Lord's Supper? What is the word? What is the word that you've heard the pastor say? We're going to do the Eucharist. Do you know what Eucharist means? 
Eucharist is the Greek word. It comes from Eucharisteo, and it means to give thanks. And, you know, I grew up in church my whole life, and I could tell you the, the spiel. And he took the bread, and he gave thanks. He broke, and he broke the bread, and he gave thanks, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do as often as you eat it, and remember for it, as long as you, right? And I missed it. He gave thanks for what was about to break him. He said, this is my body. He gave thanks. We'd say it like he's blessing the food or something. He gave thanks for what was about to break his body and cause his blood to spill. And he did it for the joy set before him. This is how we demonstrate trust in God. We don't come to God with hands held closed and fists to him. Now, some of you have fisted for a while. You have something in your past that hurt you. So you developed your, you put up your dukes early. And then you have not learned to trust him because you have not dealt with the, the, that experience that made you think maybe God wasn't good. God is good. And you can trust him. But we have to open our hands to him to receive what he has. And when we do, we please him. And we walk with him day by day. And, and it's a battle. We know it's a battle. Romans 7 tells us, I do the things I don't want to do and the things I want to do I don't do. And how is, how is that happening? I trust God. He has my back. He's walking with me to overcome that sin that so easily entangles me. He desires to cut the pack off your back and welcome you in the room of grace tonight and remind you that you can trust him because you have been justified by him. Justification is trusting God. Walking in justification is trusting God. And as you trust him, you please him. We trust him by giving thanks in all things, even for things that break us. It isn't, it's, it's simple, isn't it? It's just, it's just right there. And you know how hard it is. But when we start to practice it, there is victory and joy in his presence. Because if you take apart Eucharisteo, that word, there's the word charis, which means grace, which comes from the root word kara, which means joy. The joy of our Christian life, if you find that your Christian life is not all that you want it to be, then give thanks in everything. And you'll begin to discover God in everything. And you will experience his joy. He loves you tonight. He wants you to know how much he loves you. That nothing in your sin and your past can separate you from him. Let me pray for you and we're going to go. What shall we then say to these things? 
If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No, in all these things. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.